is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. We're glad you're with us today, and we want to talk some more about our Family Church Leadership Principles. You don't have to adopt these principles, but maybe they will speak to you in your context. And today, we have with us to talk about these important matters, two great, great, great pastors, Pastor Larry Mayer and Pastor Derek Simpson. Pastor Larry is campus pastor at Family Church West, and Pastor Derek is the campus pastor at our original campus, Family Church Downtown. And these are two great leaders. I can't think of anybody better, Leslie, to talk about our leadership principles. That's right. So we're going to tick those off real quick, just so everybody knows what they all are. And then we're going to come back to number one. So our seven principles are be a family, be trustworthy, be a people developer, be a motivator, be an innovator, be a collaborator, and be excellent. And I just kind of have to give a short shout out to Warren Wearsby at this point. Yeah, right? the B series. That's, 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 great I- that's a great idea, Leslie. <laughs> I love how you really frame those up like that. Those are original, but the B idea. Well, okay. I guess that's Jesus, the B attitudes. Okay, let's just move along. Hey, we are going to talk about being a family today, no doubt about it. And Derek and Larry, what do we mean when we say be a family? Well, I, th- I think we kind of draw that concept uh, directly from God's Word, which is a pretty good thing since we're a church. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1 John 4, there's kind of the principle that we're to love one another, uh, kind of as brothers and sisters. So when I think about that, I think about family. I think about my family. And with the exception of my wife, nobody in my family is perfect. And so- ah, as, uh, <laughs> see what you did there, Larry. If she listens, I get points. Deanna. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know- but yet we're still called to press in, to pursue each other, even in spite of our mess ups, our weaknesses, our imperfection. And I think that's kind of the challenge that we have here. You know, for me as an individual, I'm I'm limited on my ability to love other people because I get tired of people. I get mad at people. Happens even here in the church. Happens definitely at home. But when I love with the love of Christ, well, that's where I get kind of unlimited power to move into situations that I'm kind of tired of. I think that's what a family does. Yeah, Larry, I think that's a great point because family really is a great metaphor. It's a great way for us to understand the kinds of relationships that we want each other to have as we're doing life together, as we're doing ministry together. And uh, we know we're probably not all going to serve together for the next 40 or 50 or 60 years, but I like the idea that we might. And yeah. that gives us some some uh, a long horizon to work through some conflicts, work through some disagreements from time to time. And that idea of that brother-sister language is really helpful and really powerful. Well, and it's also used frequently in the New Testament. You know, so it is a Bible idea. It's That's a right. Bible idea. And so Larry just read us some uh, great verses about loving one another. But I also think that, you know, when you read, especially through Paul's letters, he uses this brother-sister language just constantly, constantly, constantly. And we're supposed to call God our Heavenly Father. And so that makes, if he's our father, if he's my father and he's your father, then what does that make us? Well, it makes us brothers and sisters. So I think this is a biblical concept. And I think underlining that as kind of the primary metaphor we want to use for our personal and professional relationships is really important, really helpful. And I really like it, too, because we're family church. 
So there it kind of go. seems appropriate <laughs> that Family Church would have their first leadership principle be a family, and it is so core to who we are. So again, I think it's a great concept for believers and for churches, for Christian people, um, obviously for people who are in a family, but I think specifically to us, it really works so well. And I also like, Pastor Jimmy, how sometimes you talk about the the need for people to have not only our Heavenly Father, but spiritual fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers. And that is what we want to be for each other at Family Church, whether we're working together or serving together in teams at our campuses, whatever we're doing. Absolutely. Well, that's a crucial concept, but there's some practical ways as we look at this concept of being a family, loving each other like brothers and sisters. There's some practical things, some behaviors that we've come up with that help us model this. And We've got some incredible, you know, examples of that. And so, Derek, why don't you kind of kick off, talk about some of the behaviors that we have to model this idea of being a family. Yeah, well, Pastor, you've done a great job of helping us really think through these. And I think probably the the number one thing that underlines this idea of being a family is we have just just decided that we're going to let love be the primary motivator for all of our relationships. and. We've probably all been in search. Certainly, I've served in circumstances and on teams where love wasn't the primary motivator. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's power, maybe it's position. But for us, leading through love and not through fear or power is a crucial concept, and just undermine undertones everything that we want to do in all of our relationships as a team, as a family. Yeah, and I think when you're leading someone or someone's leading you, if you believe that they truly have your best interests at heart, it does motivate you to do better and to work harder and have great integrity and to go the extra mile. Uh, when you feel like someone has a utilitarian view of you, they're only caring for you and investing in you because of what they're going to get from you. Well, that's that's not a very good motivator. No, it's not. It's discouraging, and it tends to lead you as a leader, if you're going to lead that way, you you have to focus on the failures and the shortcomings of the people that you lead. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're the person on the team who's being led that way, you're constantly being confronted with the things that you don't do well and the things that you where you don't really match up. And that's why we try to really love people for the best things about them. That's one of the behaviors that really kind of fleshes out of this idea is let's love people for the best things about them. And everybody's on our team for a reason. And we're all, of course, trying to be better, but if we focus on the best things about people, it really does help us, A, lead through love, and it inspires them to do, I think, a lot better work. Yeah. So, for instance, like, what, what could that look like? I, I'm wondering, if Leslie or Larry, if you have a thought, like, what could that look like to love somebody for the best things about them as opposed to the alternative? Yeah, I just think about how looking at people and trying to see them as God sees them, like how he created them, the gifts that he put in them, the strengths that they put in them. Sometimes as a leader, when failing, I'll look at the things that I see are their shortcomings or the things that I need to have developed. And instead of celebrating the right things, I'll celebrate the wrong things, you know, and then I drift towards leading out of a place of not necessarily fear or power, but a place of position which I know we have positions and everything. I get, I get that. But when that is my primary motive instead of love to like, hey, this is my title. And so you need to follow this. Uh, that's really short lived. That's like behavior modification only when you're in the room, right? Because uh, once you're away, they they drift. But when we celebrate the things that that are great inside of them, I think we're just reflecting back to them the way that God's created them. And I think it's inspiring to them. 
Yeah. And I think, Pastor Jimmy, you say this often that you love us for who we are, not just because of what we do. And I think that's an important thing to tell people often. Like, I love you for who you are, not just because of what you do. And then, like Larry just said, focusing on the best things about them or loving them well. So I think it just plays out every single day because when you work together, um, you do become like a family. And sometimes there are things that people do that tend to maybe annoy you a little bit. So rather than focusing on the things that where they're falling short or that are annoying you a little part, a little bit, remember the things that you can really love about them. And there are always tons of good things to love about all the people around us. So just changing your focus and your perspective. You know, I saw my dad do that. My dad is a high school football coach. And so he always had a staff of assistant coaches and then managers and other people that were always working with him and he was trying to motivate all of them. And I really watched him care for people. And sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes somebody would be really good at one thing, but not really good at something else. And I'll say, wow, dad, they stink at this over here. And he would say, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we, we don't, we don't have them on the team because of that. That's they're terrible at that. We have them on the team because of this, look what they can do. And this idea of loving people for what they can do instead of critiquing them endlessly for what they struggle with, what's well, just a better way to live And I really watched him implement that over many, many years. And so because of that, my dad could help someone that other people wouldn't even tolerate on their team. He could help them become a shining success because he would find ways to elevate their strengths and their area of giftedness. And he wouldn't force them always to wrestle with the thing that they were always going to struggle with no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, Leslie is a great example of somebody who does that for our team in a in a lot of different ways. And we have so many people that do that. Like Kim Wells, the same, is just great at finding people and putting them in a perfect position to use their personality, their skills, their training, and they do great things and they thrive under their leadership. You know, I, I could imagine leaders maybe wrestling with a part of this, and Pastor Jimmy, you guys might want to speak into this, but you know, as a leader, if I only celebrate everybody's like their strengths, and when would I ever like talk about this weakness piece? When would that be addressing? Could that even be loving to help somebody out in an area of weakness? Yeah, I don't think what we're trying to say is that you give up accountability because oh. we want to have a high accountability environment. And you know that we do because that's why every time you have a meeting, we have an agenda and then you have action items and every action item has a name on it. And we go through the action item. Did you do? what you're supposed to do. Did you do what you committed to do? Did you do what you were assigned to do? And we hold people accountable. We have a a performance review process that goes on throughout the year. And then we have a compensation process that's tied to all of that stuff. It's not about a lack of accountability. It's just that there are some things about, and I'm not talking about character flaws or integrity failures. There are just certain things that some people are not going to be great at. I'll just use myself. I am not extremely execution oriented. So I need someone to kind of stay on me, give me task lists and help me to remember, you've got to do this. Did you do it? No, you got to do this. Come on, we need you to do it. But I am extremely vision oriented. So I'm good at seeing the future, thinking about what we need to do next, creating a path toward the future. And so what we've done at Family Church is created an environment and a kind of a system that sort of doesn't force me to constantly be execution oriented. We get other people to kind of do that, but it allows me to do what I really do well. So it's not about lack of accountability. It's just recognizing when someone is really good at some things and not really good at others. Don't force them to live in the area of their perpetual weakness. That's so good. 
So, so we good. talk about highlight one another's strengths and cover an one another's weaknesses. That's the next one. I'm just going to go there because that makes me think of an analogy we heard once from a strengths finder coach. And she talked about, you know, your strengths are the things like basically, you know, the things on the top of your dresser, like your keys and your wallet and the things that you just never leave the house without. And that's what a strength is for you. And it's in the top drawer. It's super easy to pull out. And when you leave the house, it just goes with you. And then your weaknesses are the things that are down there in that bottom drawer like for us like the sweaters are down there in South Florida and the the mittens and the hats right because we hardly ever have to dig right. those out so they're down there in that bottom drawer and you just kind of have to dig around a little bit to find yeah. them and you don't want people always down there digging around in their bottom drawer so even organizationally you want to try to highlight strengths and then help cover over those weaknesses and find somebody who compensates for the weaknesses so good yeah, and I think too, it's helpful. Like this isn't; these aren't just HR conversations, right? These are behaviors. This, this, these leadership principles go to culture, and so they're habits and behaviors that we're constantly trying to reinforce, and that we give we give each other uh, the permission to call one other out when we violate them, and when we don't, when we don't do it, and we don't model it well. We can talk about these things, and so that's a really important. It's a really important point to highlight one another's strengths and cover and just say, Hey, I need you to help cover my weakness in this area because I'm not good at it. So I need your help mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. It also lets us at a higher level when we're evaluating an event or evaluating someone's performance or what they did to be able to say, well, you know, they, they really dropped the ball on this. And then we as a team go, why did we even give them that ball? <laughs> That's right. Like they are terrible. We at shouldn't that. be surprised That's by not that. That's their fault. That's our fault for asking them to do that. And it lets us just recognize, you know, as we're assigning tasks, sometimes you have to do stuff that you don't want to do. That's not what we're talking about. We're just saying as leaders, how do we help put people in the best position to succeed, highlighting their strengths? And that really flows from the next behavior, which is super important also in our conversation about how we treat people. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, one of the one of the behaviors that we talk about often is seeing one another as equal in calling and unique in gifting, regardless of where they fall on the org chart. And so some organizations, and I think every organization is tempted to fall into this unless you actively work against it, but you're tempted to fall into this idea that the higher somebody is on a on an org chart, whether it's perceived or actual, the more important that person actually is. And we just think it's better to think differently about people. So everybody has value and everybody has a unique calling that they're that, that they've been given by the Lord and we want to recognize that we treat each other as equals even though organizationally we do different things. Yeah, and I think that's important even if you've been listening to the podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, I think that just tells you a lot about you know, it's kind of a parable that warns all of us to be careful with thinking that because we're somewhere on an organizational chart we're superior or our, our, you know, our gift, our gifting in certain areas appears to be greater. And that's just not helpful. It's so important that we look at our brothers and sisters, whether they're uh, in the in the maintenance department or the security department, or whether they're doing data input, or whether they're preaching or leading music or working with children or preschoolers. Look, they're they're created by God. The thumbprint of God is on them. They, the God has given them value. They're made in his image. And then they have a sense of calling to our organization and so just because I'm the lead pastor doesn't make me better. It doesn't make my calling more valid or more significant. No, our calling and our gifting is equal before the Lord, even if our positions in the organization mm -hmm. are, are different. I mean, even talking about that podcast, right, it's railing against the Christian celebrity culture, which is hard for us to 
get away from because our culture at large is consumed with it. But that idea of the more upfront people or the people who are on the platform somehow being elevated over the people that are back here in the tech booth or that are in the IT closet, you know, all these people, they have callings, they have gifts that they're using to serve the church or whatever organization, just like the people on the platform. So I love thinking about it this way. Yeah. And once again, that's a Bible idea. That right. that the first should become last and the last should become first. And the most the highest and best calling is to be a servant. Mm-hmm. And the same is true, you know, a lot of our listeners to this podcast and a lot of churches, all of those tasks that you just mentioned are not tasks that are performed by employees, but by volunteers. And the same is true at Family Church. And we can very easily, as staff and pastors and directors, we can very easily create an artificial divide between uh, people that get paid or compensated to do ministry and people that are volunteers. And that's not helpful or, or, or healthy either. Yeah. I remember when uh, I interviewed to be here at Family Church and I sat down at a pancake house with you and Pastor Aaron, Pastor Jimmy and Pastor Aaron. And I remember asking the question, so do you guys have like an organizational chart I can see? And probably for the next, I don't know, 30 minutes, might have even been an hour, they began to, you guys began to just share with me this concept right here, just this one principle on how we're more like a family. Because for me, I was just looking at it for like, hey, I just want to know, you know who I report to and kind of how decisions are made. And it's, you made it clear. It's not that we don't have one. It's just, you'll never find it on a wall anywhere because everybody is equal. We're all equal. We have different responsibilities and roles, but be clear, we treat everybody equal. And then when I came on the team, because honestly, at first I thought, ah, we'll see how that works out. I got on the team and it's really fleshed out here. It really is. When I see the the culture of honor that's given like in our family chapels services and, you know, during the weekdays and stuff, people are called out no matter what their position and they're celebrated big time. And it's really life-giving to know that you can serve in any role here at Family Church and know that you have a voice around the table. You're welcome to the table. You don't have to wait to be invited. You're you're on the team. You're in the family. You're part of it. Come on, let's go. Yeah, we love that about it. And Larry, one of the ways we have to cultivate that, so there's a behavior that we use to cultivate those kinds of relationships. And why don't you kind of chip in on like what, what are the things we do together that make that possible? Well, we make a big deal out of prioritizing meetings and meals and retreats. They're really, really important to us as a culture. I remember, again, asking you, Pastor Jimmy, you know, why do we do so many meetings? Why do we do this all the time? Well, first of all, I would say, and I told this to somebody the other day, I said, you know, I've never been to a meeting yet at Family Church where I could have said, you know what? They could have just shot me an email. That'd have been good. Every one of them are part of sharing and dispersing culture throughout the organization. You just told me the reason we do this so much is because I don't know of a better way to transfer culture and DNA into the organization where you've got 13 campuses and you're dispersed across a broad geographical you know, distance. This is the way we do it. And so at Family Church, we say we got to prioritize this. So we meet often. We eat often. I remember sharing with a group of interns that during their time here over the summertime, there's going to be meetings, prioritize those, right? They didn't have a choice on some of those. But then there was these these impromptu coffees and meals that they'd be invited to. And I just told them, I said, I bet you some of the best insights to your own life, some of the best leadership wisdom you'll get, some of the most encouragement you'll get is if you'll have some margin in your life to prioritize even some of those meetings, because that's where somebody's going to speak into you and make a difference in your life. And so that's one of the reasons why I think we prioritize meetings and meals and retreats around here, because there's just no better way to get the culture and DNA into the into our church. And Derek, when you when we 
our spending time like that and learning to care about each other, learning who we are. We learn about each other's spouses, about our children, about our grandchildren, about where we came from, where we're growing up. We learn a lot about each other and that enables us to care for each other, which kind of leads us to the next leadership behavior. Yeah, that's right. We actually form like real relationships, which helps us put the needs of others ahead of our own because we, again, we're not looking to others on the team as just a utility player or a a way for me to get to where I want to go, but I care about them as a brother, as a sister. And so uh, it forces me to, to actually think through like, who are these people and what is the world they're living in, the pressures that they're feeling. And again, Bible idea, put their needs in front of my own. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, crucial. And then one of the things we have to do as we do that, Larry, we get to these meetings and we do have some loyalty principles to how these meetings work because you're going to be invited to different kinds of meetings that are kind of they're layered throughout the organization. So how do you know how do you know where to, where your primary loyalty should lie? How do you know? Yeah you know, what your place is in these meetings. So, yeah, we're we're talking about uh, practicing the first team concept, which was a a new concept for me as I came onto the team. And then somebody sent me an article that this guy, Patrick Lencioni wrote, and he referenced it. And I thought, wow, he stole that idea from Family Church. You know, (laughs) maybe, maybe not. (laughs) If you're listening, Patrick, you should... Think about I, writing I think, about that idea. Yeah, from time to time. Patrick's <laughs> always emailing <laughs> upon it, asking me to give him some business ideas. But first thing, concept. I'm I was actually talking about that at a luncheon today, where we were actually talking to a potential candidate to come in on the team, and the person asked the question, you know, like how do, how does it work? Because I'm seeing two of you here, and I'm supposed to be loyal to both of you. Who am I supposed to be loyal to? And so I just gave him kind of the example that my life holds, and that I'm a campus pastor at Family Church West, and when I have a staff team meeting. I'm kind of, you know, the highest in that room at that moment. But then on Tuesdays, every Tuesday, I'm around 13 other campus pastors and I'm just one of. And so my highest loyalty, my highest team concept there is I report to Pastor Aaron and Pastor Aaron runs that meeting. And so whatever environment, whatever meeting you're in, whoever is the person in that room that is is the... um, I want to say it's the the team leader. is, Is the team leader is the one that your loyalty belongs to. And that just helps me with trying to decide what am I supposed to do next? You know, I follow that leader. Well, let, let me put it to you this way, because I, I learned, I actually learned this working for Kevin Ezell in Louisville, and I was his youth pastor. When I was his youth pastor, I had a team of youth pastors that served on my team that I got to hire and I supervised them. And they also had about a hundred or more adult volunteers that worked. And we had a youth group of hundreds and hundreds of teenagers. And what I had to learn was that Kevin would sometimes give me some marching orders or Kevin and some of the, the, the senior executive leaders would, would create a policy or they would make a decision, a programmatic decision about our church. And I would be the one that had to deliver that decision to my team of youth pastors and volunteers. And it's easy to find yourself caught between the sentiments of your team or volunteers and the supervisors who, is, who have given you, who've handed down this, this decision. And what Kevin even taught me is he said, look, I don't need you to be the union rep for the volunteers. I need you to be the management rep for me. You're supposed to go help them understand why we're making this decision in a way where they feel great about it, which means you're going to have to own the decision that we made in a meeting that you weren't even in. (laughs) And that's just the way that an organization has to work. Wow, what a valuable, valuable, valuable lesson. And of course, I'm not talking about violating integrity. I'm not talking about asking me to violate my theology. I'm just saying, hey, you know, 
We're going to have a Sunday night service starts at six o'clock. Sunday night service starts at seven o'clock. They're making a decision. I've got to own it. And then I've got to represent that decision well so that my highest loyalty goes to the highest level of meeting that I'm invited into on a regular basis. That makes sense. So you don't go in and you don't go, well, they made a decision that we're going to have to get your ownership of is like, hey, here's Here, where we're here's going. What we're, here's where we're headed. And yeah. here's what we're going to do. And it's going to be exciting and it's going to be awesome. And when they push back, I don't go, well, talk to Pastor Kevin about it. It's his dumb decision. <laughs> I say, no, let me tell you why. Or you know what? That's a great point. I'm not sure we've thought about that. Let me get back to you and see if I can come up with a, with a good answer for you. You don't blame the people making the decision. You own the decision. And then you try to articulate it in the most positive way possible. That's good. Really good. So I go to the next one. Go for it. All Leslie. right. This is a good she one. I like it. One. Yeah. <laughs> Be the first and best repenter, you know, which I think is just such a great concept on so many levels, of course, in a family organization or in a family mm. and the importance of just taking that posture of humility and being willing to admit when perhaps you have even failed to keep one of these. So maybe you failed to think the best about somebody or love somebody for the best things about them. You can go to them and whatever. Or maybe you failed to uh, represent your first team very well and you can go and repent and say, I'm really sorry that I got in this situation and I found myself mm -hmm. really not representing you well. And so I hope that you'll forgive me for that and always just taking that posture toward one another. Yeah, we sometimes will coach this same principle when we're preparing couples for a family, for a marriage. That's right. And, you know, we'll say things to them like, hey, just go first. Right. The person with the most integrity, you know, goes first. Who wants to go first? And, of course, then they're fighting over each other to go first. And I would also say that, in, in particularly in leadership, that when it's appropriate, you should be public about it. Like you own your stuff publicly when it's appropriate, right? Because I think that models for everybody else that's following you what it looks like to go first, to be the first repenter, to own your stuff. And uh, I think that's important. I think it even goes beyond just being humble. I think it models all the right things about being a family. Yeah. So like um, even just a couple of weeks ago, we made an HR decision here at for the employees at Family Church, but we didn't communicate it well. And it was my fault. And so I think the decision was the right decision but the communication was bungled. And so I had to stand up on a staff chapel and say, guys, we really screwed up the rollout of this communication. I'm sorry about that. We're going to try to do better. And what's interesting is even from our own team, some people who came to me probably inappropriately and just kind of said, hey, man, this just seems kind of weird. This isn't how we normally do it. What they were trying to say to me was, we're not really questioning the decision, but like, that's not how we communicate in this family. And they're right. And so you have to sort of go back and say, yep, you know, we, we messed that up. But what I love about it is it was still a good opportunity, even though it was a little humble pie for me, it was still good opportunity to show our team, look, it's okay when you mess up. People will give you, I, I don't feel like anyone was angry at me for messing up. I actually think they feel closer to me when I admit when I make a mistake. And it's true for everybody who works on our, our leadership teams. And Larry, part of that is just how there's there's one of the behaviors that we listed that came up a lot in this little modeling that we did that helps the people in our meetings feel like we're giving them our full attention. Yeah. And that's the idea of being available and being present. And we have the caveat that says, put your phones away or whatever your distraction is, kind of put it away, put it aside. And I know that probably right now I'm sounding like a lot of people's parents or grandparents. Grandpa. And in, in this yeah. room, I might fit that bill. You know, I'm, I think I'm the oldest one in here, but- Here's the idea. I think it's that this concept of being present in a conversation is probably one of the more 
underrated, undervalued concepts, not of the young generation, but I think of every generation, just learning how to be present in a conversation, learning how to to actually care about the person that's in front of you and ask questions and be curious about their lives. I think when we do that, no, I know when we do that, that people walk away feeling valued and validated. They feel poured into, they feel cared for. And that is a, is a high, high point when it comes to family is that people walk away from your presence feeling honored and feeling valued. And we can just be present and do that. Yeah, yeah and I love when we do that on our retreats too. Yeah, I was going to say, there's one that. really practical way that we do that. And <laughs> yes. that's we just collect phones when we go on retreats yeah. and don't allow people to have them. And at the start of meetings as well. Like, yeah. hey, there's a part of every meeting that I'm in or that I lead where, hey, put your phones away, shut your screens, turn your devices on. Now we're probably going to have to come back to them because we are so dependent on them for like everything Calendary, like our calendar and, yeah. and, and, and information. But there should be at least a part of the meeting where everybody's present and we're showing honor to one another and just just by being able to look each other in the eyes and not on the screens. I think that's so, vital. And Larry, what's our last behavior that we have here? We're going to cheer for the success of others, which for me can sometimes be pretty difficult. We already talked about strength finders earlier. My number one strength finder is competition. So I clearly like to see winners and losers, and I like to be the winner, and I kind of make fun of losers sometimes. <laughs> but that's when I'm in the flesh. So thank God he came into my life, and things can be changed around. So what it looks like for me as someone who loves to see a scoreboard, who loves to see a winner, and sometimes a loser, is being going back to one of the other uh, practical behaviors that we have, and that's, that's celebrating other people's successes. So I remember my kids were playing sports and stuff. There was a time when I liked to just see us winning at the end of the game. And then it changed over time. I, I guess I matured. And I began to just celebrate the fact that they were out there competing because they loved what they were doing. And I just wanted to see them compete. I want to see them work hard. I want to see them stretch themselves. And I would just stand up and cheer that on no matter what the score was at the end of the day. And uh, I found that my kids felt more honored and valued when we do that. And I love how we do that, particularly even on our staff chapels. I mean, we have this thing called HR Day. And on HR Day, you know, Pastor Keith comes up and he celebrates birthdays and all these milestones. And our team doesn't just sit around and just listen and nod and, hey, let's move on. I mean, they're, they get kind of rowdy and they celebrate. And I think people walk out of that feeling honor. So we're going to we're going to make a big deal in our family about cheering on the success of other people. And does anything you're a dad, does anything make you feel better than to watch your kids just pull for each other? Yes. I mean, I, mean, I love being at a ball game. And watching my children cheer for their sibling that's out on the field or on the court. And seeing that happen at Family Church. So the, the children's ministry is thrilled when the student ministry has a great camp. And the music ministry is thrilled if I preach a great sermon, which is rare, but they do like it when it happens. <laughs> and so like, yeah. like all of us are pulling for each other. And that makes it really fun. It yeah. makes it fun to be part of a family like that. Absolutely. I saw your kids do that at camp this year. Uh, one of your kids was in leadership and the other one was attending. And when your daughter was running, I, he was running next to her, just high-fiving her and cheering her on. And it was pretty – and you weren't even around. There it you go. <laughs> there you go. Good. Well, it's a great reminder because when we're on a church staff, the other teams on the church team, or the other employees or whoever, that's – that's us. We're actually all on the same team together. Right. So like right. when somebody else wins, I win too. Makes That's sense. correct. Rising tide lifts all boats. Well, hey, all of our listeners, thanks for listening today. We hope you've heard something that helps you lead in your family, your church, your business, wherever it is you have influence. We're going to be back on our next episode to discuss our second leadership principle. And that is we want to be trustworthy. Trustworthiness. It is a characteristic that is 
too rare, but we don't want it to be rare at Family Church. I know you don't want it to be rare at your church either. You can help get the word out by subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, and it will really help if you'll take a moment and leave a rating and a review. I'm Jimmy Scroggins. This is Leslie Bennett, Larry Mayer, Derek Simpson, Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.